Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. This podcast is associated with the Scattered Abroad Network. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe and check out the episode notes below for contact information, including websites and where we can be found on social media. Again, thank you for your support and let's begin our Bible study. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today we are looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And looking at this passage with us today is a person I've known uh, for a very long time. I guess we met when I was uh, graduating, right after I graduated high school. So a couple decades almost. And then... uh, (laughs) Uh, I've been a friend uh, of the family uh, of my dad, and, and uh, his name is Clay Bond. He's an instructor at the Southwest School of Bible Studies, and he's also an elder at the Lake Country Church of Christ in Marble Falls. Clay, will you introduce yourself uh, to our audience, please? Absolutely. As Josh said, my name is uh, Clay Bond. I've known the Walker family for a lot of years. It's just amazing uh, how fast time goes by as we get older and older, but definitely have a lot of memories. Glad to be with you uh, this morning as as we talk about a very, very important subject, uh, an important topic uh, that can help us in a lot of ways, whether, you know, we're a Christian or if we're serving as as an elder, a deacon, a gospel preacher. Uh, It doesn't matter what capacity, you know, we serve. Uh, this is a great context, and I'm looking forward to going through uh, this context with you this morning, Josh. Absolutely. And before we began, we, we started talking, and Clay's oldest two daughters were in my wedding, and now both of them yeah. are either married or getting married. So, yeah. Cole, <laughs> uh, Cole's got a girlfriend, moved. too. Yeah. And it, well, yeah. and that's, you know, uh, I think Trinity, the, uh, the, the youngest girl, was brand new at our wedding. Yeah. Yeah, and his youngest wasn't even around. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Time, uh, time gets away from you for sure. Uh, absolutely, wait for no man. So yeah, uh, as mentioned earlier, we're in Colossians chapter one. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Um, a very positive letter. Uh, one of our episodes before, prior to this was uh, to from Galatians, uh, and it was a very uh, a very direct letter. A um, lot of issues that had to be dealt with with the church at Galatia. I feel like Colossians is uh, my personal favorite. Pauline epistle is Ephesians. Uh, and I would say probably my second favorite is Coloss- uh, the one here in Colossians. Uh, looks at uh, the church from the perspective of, of the head. Uh, the focus of Colossians is Jesus and uh and it makes it a very enjoyable study. Now, I'm going to read the text, and then we're just going to dive into it and start dissecting it. Uh, starting at verse 9, it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of, in the life. So what do you have there, Clay? Well, just listening to, to what you were saying about the book of Ephesians and, 
and also in the book of Colossians, uh, you'll notice uh, Paul's prayer uh, as he prayed for the brethren at Ephesus or whether he prayed for the brethren uh, at Colossae or the church at Galatia. Uh, you'll notice in his prayers that Paul was, was very concerned uh, about their spiritual progress, uh, their spiritual development uh, that actually comes through uh, spiritual transformation. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and probably the, the most familiar verses uh, on transformation where uh, Paul exhorts us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of, of our minds. Uh, from, that, from that Greek word, uh, we get uh, our English word uh, metamorphosis. And when you stop and think about metamorphosis, uh, there are, are different stages. Uh, you see that with, with the butterfly, those four stages where you have the egg, the caterpillar, the pura, and, and then uh, you see the butterfly. And I like that, that example because if you just stop and look at a butterfly, it, it's such a beautiful part of God's creation. You see all the, the various colors, uh, but there was a, a process, and, and I think when you uh, look at that in a spiritual way, uh, there's also something known as spiritual metamorphosis, transformation. And I think when you consider Paul's prayer, beginning at verse number nine, I think that's what Paul has in mind uh, for every Christian, this, this spiritual transformation. Uh, God doesn't want us to, to remain children, babes uh, in Christ. Uh, Paul even talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, that uh, if we remain as babes in Christ, uh, we're going to be tossed to and fro. We're going to be carried about every wind of, of doctrine. And then in Ephesians 4, verse 15, he puts a great emphasis when he says to grow up in Christ. And that's what God wants us to do. Uh, as Christians. He wants us to grow up. He wants us uh, to be mature. Uh, in Ephesians 5, verse number 1, uh, God wants us to, to be imitators. And, and there's a process to, to learning to, to be imitators uh, of God, uh, to walk as Christ walked, as we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6. Uh, that's not going to happen by by accident. Uh, it's through a, a process that we're highlighting known as spiritual transformation. And what I like about Paul's prayer, and of course, if you think about Paul's prayer here, you will see that his prayer uh, is filled with, with care. It's filled with concern. I mean, Paul really loved the brethren. And, and this was something that, that Paul uh, was very interested in again their their spiritual development, but this is a favorite context uh, of mine, and I will say that this was probably one of your dad's favorite contexts because you, you see the steps, you see a, a process, and I think when we can highlight something like that uh, in scripture, uh, it can really help us. It doesn't matter if you're a a new convert. It doesn't matter if you've been in the faith for, for 30, 40 years, uh, this process works. And, and what's unique about this process, it, it never stops. And, and, and the more you follow the process, as we will see, uh, the closer and closer we get to the Lord, the stronger 
we become. And, and so this, again, is a, is a context that is, is really uh, exciting to look at uh, because it applies to, to every person. And, and as you look at Paul's prayer, and we'll kind of break it down uh, beginning at verse number nine, when you consider his prayer, he, he prayed that, first of all, the brethren would be filled with a knowledge of God's will. And that's a great phrase to, to underline, uh, filled with a knowledge of God's will. Uh, God doesn't want us, as we said earlier, he doesn't want us to, to remain as, as babes uh, in Christ. As the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse number 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of God's word. And, and you see that analogy in Scripture, the milk of God's word, uh, the meat of God's word. Uh, that can be found uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through 14. And, and Paul even says that, that if we remain on uh, the milk of God's word, we're going to be unskillful in the word of righteousness because strong meat belongs to them that are mature. And when we're mature, we can reason between right and wrong. And so you have the milk, you have the meat of God's word. You also have passages that encourage us to have that spiritual craving or spiritual appetite for God's word. In Matthew 5, verse 6, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. In Psalm 119, 172, we learn that all of God's commandments are our righteousness. And so there's that, that spiritual craving, that spiritual appetite that all of us need to have for the word of God. Like Job in Job 23, verse 12, paraphrasing this idea, but Job loved God's word more than his necessary food. And so what we're seeing here in, in these various passages is God's word provides the spiritual food that helps us mature. It, it helps us to to develop, and you compare that or with the Great Commission. Uh, a lot of times when we look at the Great Commission, we put a great emphasis on baptism, and, and rightfully so. When a person is going to be saved, they, they have to be baptized into Christ, but even the Great Commission emphasizes spiritual transformation, uh, because after a person is baptized, Jesus said, you continue to, to teach them. You continue to, to help them develop into mature children of God. I think when you even look at what Paul's saying here in the book of, of Colossians, there were some real challenges facing uh, the brethren there at, at Colossae. And, and many of them thought, or actually many of them were, were taught that there was something even beyond uh, what the apostles were teaching in, in the form of, of knowledge. And I believe there's a reason why Paul is starting right here. There's there's nothing new outside of God's word. It's like what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse number 3, God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through knowledge. And you continue to read 2 Peter chapter 1, you come to verse number 5, the Christian virtues. Uh, besides this, giving all diligence, Peter says, we're to add to our faith. And then he's going to list out those things. One of those things that we're to add to our faith is knowledge, because every Christian needs to have a knowledge of God's will. 
that that word uh, there being filled with the knowledge of God's word, the word filled, I think that's also another interesting uh, word because, again, the emphasis is being full of God's will. And, and literally, it means to, to be controlled by a knowledge of God's will. Uh, if you're filled with anger, you're going to be controlled by anger. But if we are filled with a knowledge of God's will, uh, we're going to be controlled by a knowledge of God's will. And listen, that's going to make all the difference uh, in the world as we strive to imitate God and as we strive to follow God. And even having a full knowledge of his will, that's going to help us understand who God is. And that's so important when it comes to, to spiritual transformation. Uh, God is not against us. God is for us. God is trying to help us, and God is trying to develop us. Uh, you remember back in the Old Testament when God brought his people out of Egyptian bondage. In Deuteronomy 1, verse number 27, their concept of God was this. God hates us, and God brought us out of Egypt to destroy us. Well. We know better than that. Uh, God didn't hate his people. God has always loved his people, and he still loves his people even today. And God wants us, again, to develop. He wants us to be mature. And when we understand the will of God, uh, we're going to be able to draw closer to God. Uh, we understand the will of God from this first point, this first step, through a knowledge of his will. And so that's the first step that I wanted to highlight for our consideration uh, in Paul's prayer, because this is a, an intellectual knowledge. And that's something else that we may want to jot down uh, on our notes, because I'll come back to that when we get uh, to the end of, of verse number 10. And so it begins with an intellectual knowledge of God's will, Josh. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up the metamorphosis being a process, uh, a continual process. That's right. Uh, and I've circled in verse nine, it just starts off. And so, uh, and I believe, and that's the English standard version. I believe, uh, the, the King James starts off with, uh, for this cause or for this reason, something along right. those lines. Yes. In other yes. words, here's the reason for the prayer here. Here's right. why I'm praying for you and everything's going to follow is what I'm praying for you. But I drew a circle. Uh, from, uh, the day we heard drew, uh, circled that drew an arrow back up to verse four, where it says, since we heard, so Paul receives this report, uh, from Epiphras, uh, and what we want to notice, and this is why I circled. And so is because you look at, at the report he received, he, he received, uh, your faith in Christ, the love you have for the saints, the hope you have laid up for heaven. Uh, the truth that you've heard, uh, that you are bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you, uh, just as you learn talking about the, the truth of God. And so the point being is, is that the things for which Paul is praying are not things that he wishes they would start doing. These are things that he wishes or prays that they continue to do exactly. and they become more skilled at doing and that they become more mature. Uh, in their process. And I just wrote out next to that phrase, no place for complacency. Exactly. Uh, and if I were Satan and I wanted to harm the church 
uh, to the greatest degree possible. The arrow that I would pull from my quiver is complacency. Exactly right. And, 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 and I think we, I think you, you kind of look at just from a number standpoint and it's more than just numbers, uh, obviously, but from a number standpoint, when you look at the church in the sixties, seventies, uh, and, and even early eighties, uh, it grew. Uh, and then in the mid, late, uh, mid eighties to early 1990s, uh, even to the late to the nineties, it started to decline. And then the early two thousands started to grow again. And I think that had to do with things. Uh, like 9/11 and and right. uh, the the Enron uh, stuff with with as far as money, uh, what became less stable and, and right. all that. So I think people's minds started to get more focused on the spiritual. Uh, but it's been at a decline uh, since the early 2000s, and I think complacency is that reason. We have our buildings, we have our right. our crowds, we were meeting our budget, so. Uh, that's it. And, and, right. uh, I've said this before, uh, and I don't know, uh, and I won't know, none of us will know until we, uh, get to the other side of judgment, just how providential the plans of God were or, or what his providence were, I guess, uh, affirming it. But when you look at the COVID pandemic, uh, and, and people, you know, didn't come to church because it, you know, for whatever reason, and then you you have this number, post number, pre COVID, and post COVID numbers. Uh, one thing that I think is a positive from that is I think churches now are more evangelistically focused, which it should have been from the beginning. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, and this this idea or this concept of of having to continue to progress is something that has come and has come from the. COVID pandemic, in my opinion, a positive thing. There are a lot of negative things that came out of it, but one of the positive things is is that we have realized that maybe complacency has been to our detriment. Uh, oh, and so um, I, I, I like that you brought that up 100%. Um, I also circled his will uh, in uh, verse 9 and drew an arrow down to verse 13 and 14, because if you want to summarize what Paul's talking about in his will, that's it. God's will yep. was to deliver us from the domain of darkness, transfer us into his kingdom, and then redeem us or forgive us from our sins. I mean, if exactly. you want to, you know, that's what it is. Uh, and that's you right. sum it up by his will. And and I, I like that you brought up that Phil is to be controlled by. Uh, yeah. Because, and we're going to get into this, I'm sure, but uh, we have to know what God's will is. Uh, and, and and you brought up that if we know his will, then we know God. And I just linked in verse 10, knowledge of his will and knowledge of God. And just put right. the essence of true heart religion is that, to know God right. and know his will. That's, that's and, exa and, exactly right. And, uh, and, and like we're going to see in verse 10, uh, well, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you and let you go. But uh, knowledge is not enough. Right. Uh, gaining the intellectual facts. That's a right. part of the process. That's a part of, as you said, the metamorphosis. Right. But if we stop there, then we have not uh, fully transformed. That's and, exactly and, right. And again, I, and this goes back to the idea of complacency. We can know the knowledge or know the Bible inside and out. But if it simply stops at our knowledge of the Bible, 
then like you said, the butter, you know, what's that caterpillar look like that first day, you know, wraps itself in that cocoon and right. then starts the metamorphosis, metamorphosis process. Well, if it stops after the first step, what's it going to look like? Right. It's not going to look like what we, you know, it's intended to look like. So uh, great stuff. Um, yeah. And I'll turn it back over to you. And eventually uh, it would die. And so, so will we, uh, if we don't continue uh, the process and no matter what the circumstances are uh, in, in the world, uh, we should stay focused as the people of God. And this is how we stay focused. Uh, but if we're ignorant of God's word, uh, we're, we're going to hurt ourselves spiritually speaking. And this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel in Hosea 4, verse number 6. Uh, when God said about his people, my people are destroyed uh, for a, a lack of, of knowledge. But as you emphasize, knowledge, knowledge isn't uh, enough. And, and so Paul continues in this prayer. Uh, you know, he said that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, Paul says, I want you to, to take that that knowledge, that that intellectual knowledge that you're learning through the scriptures. And I want you to treat it with wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, in Ephesians 5, 17, Paul says, be not unwise, but, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and so how do we treat God's word with, with wisdom uh, and spiritual understanding? Well, in a very practical way, I think sometimes we just need to learn to, to slow down. Uh, as we're studying God's word, and we may start off uh, our study of God's word by praying to God, like we see in Acts 6, verse number 4, with the apostles when they said, We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, we, we can treat God's word with wisdom and spiritual understanding when we learn to, to meditate uh, upon God's word. We're not talking about you know, a daily Bible program of reading a chapter a day that keeps the devil away. Uh, we're really talking about learning to meditate upon uh, the word of God and also rightly dividing the word of truth. I think that's important when it comes to treating God's word with wisdom and, and spiritual understanding, rightly dividing the word of God, knowing how to study the word of God, Learning how to use cross-references when you're studying a context because those cross-references, a lot of time, they can, they can open doors uh, to really understanding uh, the will of God. I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 18, uh, verse number 8, we're reading about when Paul went into the city of Corinth. And it says in Acts 18, verse 8, the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. But it doesn't say what they heard or what they believed. But when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, uh, you see that they, they heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. They were baptized because they reenacted the death, burial, and resurrection. It's an example of how cross-references uh, can, can work. But most importantly, we can treat God's word with wisdom and spiritual understanding by having the right attitude toward God's word. Remember, there, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. God says it's not in man that walketh direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. 
But sometimes that's the attitude that we have toward God's word. Uh, we think we, we know more than God or we know what is better than what God knows. That's why having an attitude of humility will help us take this knowledge of God's word and treat it with wisdom and spiritual understanding. Always remembering that, you know, when I'm studying God's word, uh, God knows what is best. And all of God's commandments, every one of them, even the, the, the thou shall not. There, there's a good reason for those commandments. And again, that should change my, my attitude. But when we stop and, and really think about what Paul is saying here as we treat uh, God's word with wisdom and spiritual understanding, again, just in a very practical way, as we're learning God's word and as, as we're examining ourselves, a lot of times God's word will will confront us. Again, if we're treating God's word with wisdom and spiritual understanding, uh, we're going to look into God's word. We're going to study it. Uh, we're going to examine our own lives. But we don't want to run away when God's word confronts us. We don't want to be like Jonah and run away from what we know is is right. Uh, we want to to welcome even the correction. And even understanding the nature of God's word, that God's word, it, it's there to, to challenge us. And, and many times it, it corrects us, even rebukes us. I, I think you also see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, when Paul says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And, and then he'll list out those things, profitable for doctrine, profitable, profitable for reproof, profitable for correction, uh, profitable for righteousness. Uh, God's word teaches us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, how to stay right. All of those things uh, are important, and it all comes from God. And so we, we study God's word, and, and, and we treat God's word with wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's, that's the second step to spiritual metamorphosis. Great point. Um, I underline that phrase, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And like you said, cross-references, um, I, I put Proverbs 1 and verse 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. That's right. Fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. Uh, and, and like you said, with the, don't run away from it. It starts with the proper attitude. Also put Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what uh, ought not to be done. Uh, and that goes in line with what you're saying in the sense that and in, in, when we leave it up to us, what are we going to follow? Well, we follow our feelings, uh, like right. you mentioned earlier, or anger. Uh, if anger controls or if anger is in our heart, then it's going to control. So we, if we're left to our own devices uh, without any type of instruction, we're going to follow our feelings. Uh, we're probably going to follow the majority, even though Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, Jesus says the majority is not going to be right. Uh, right. We follow culture. Uh, we follow the things that are, are, for lack of a better term, hip, and that are in. Uh, and and you look across the world today, uh, and the reason this postmodernistic uh, mindset has gained so so much traction in the world today is because it it it, it preys on man's instinctive nature to follow after those things. My truth is how I feel. My truth is uh, what I think is right. My truth is about me. 
my world is me in the center of it, and everyone else is an actor in my play type of mentality. Uh, that's where man naturally goes. But like you said, when we fill ourselves with God's will, we pursue a spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, then we're going to look different. Uh, exactly. We're going to act differently. Uh, we're going to participate in different things. We're going to speak differently. And that's the whole idea of of the word church or ecclesia being called out, being separate. Right. Go to the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. I have called you out. I have made you my treasure. And, and God doesn't want something that's just going to act like everything else. He wants something that is separate and distinct. And he refers to it as his treasure. So uh, excellent points there, Clay. What else do you have? Well, as we continue this this process, I like to mention a, a passage from the book of Psalms because it, it really leads into to this third step. Uh, in Psalm 119, verse 59, 60, David said, I thought on my ways and I turned my feet under thy testimonies. I made haste and delay not to keep thy commandments. You know, we can we can learn God's word and we can see what God's word is saying and we can even see what it's saying to us in, in a very personal way. And then, as I said, we can we can run away from it or we can ignore it. You don't see that with, with David. Uh, he saw what God's word was saying and, and, and he didn't procrastinate. He, he immediately made the application. And that's exactly what we see now in verse number 10, uh, to walk worthy of are calling. In other words, the word walk denotes action. Uh, we need to make application of everything that we're learning in God's word. And when we make the application, it's going to be obvious that, that we're children of God. Even Peter says the world will think that you're strange, that you run not with them to the same excess of riot in 1 Peter 4 verses 1 through 4. But even God's people were, were guilty long ago of of following this process of, of hearing God's word. In Ezekiel 33, verses 31 through 32, God even says, my people, they, they assemble, they hear my word, but they do not do it. They don't make application. They don't follow through with what the word of God was teaching them. And you find that, that same idea throughout the New Testament. We find the same encouragement in other, epistle, uh, other books like the book of James. Uh, be doers of the word, James one twenty two, and not just hearers of God's word. That's what makes the difference. That to me is where that spiritual metamorphosis really begins to take place when we make application of God's word. But it reminds me of Joel three fourteen. We hear this in multitudes. Multitudes are in the valley of decision. Now, God wants us to make up our mind. And God wants us to, to do it immediately. He wants us to learn his word. He wants us to, to treat his word with wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then he wants us to make application. And, and really, this could be another step. But when we make the application, Paul's also going to mention another point there in verse number 10, being fruitful in every good work. You know, Jesus talked about bearing fruit in John 15, verses 1 through 8. And, and, and really, you see the same process in John 15 that you're seeing here uh, in Colossians 1, uh, a little bit different. But really, it's the same process. We're clean through the word. 
And when we allow the word to, to prune us, spiritually speaking, in John 15, verse 8, Jesus said, Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Think about how that really fits into the overall context of, of this prayer, because if you were to ask the question to somebody, what, what does it mean to bring forth fruit? Most people would say, well, that means to evangelize. And I would agree that it means to, to evangelize, but, but it means more than evangelize. Uh, bearing fruit unto God means bringing forth the product of right living, not just any kind of living, but righteous living. As Paul says in Titus 2, verses 11 through 12, here is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. Bearing fruit unto God is something that pleases God. But as we're seeing, there's a process to bringing forth fruit unto God. And this process is revealed uh, in Paul's prayer. That's there's excellent. one more step. There is one more step. Uh, there in verse number 10, but but those those are the steps that we're seeing to the spiritual transformation. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought up David and, and the fact that he walked, because uh, I'm reminded of 1 Kings 15 and verse 5, when it said David right. did with that which was right, and he never turned aside from anything except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That one facet, that one I'll call it blip in the life that you take the timeline of David. There was a portion of his life where he was not work, walking worthy of the Lord. Right. Uh, and, and as a result, he wasn't pleasing to God. And then, But you go read Psalm 32 uh, when he writes that from that standpoint. You look at the turmoil David is in when he is not walking in a manner worthy unto God. And there's not only a, a spiritual detriment to David, but there's physical uh, anguish that's put upon him because of it. And then you go to Psalm 51 after he's received forgiveness and there's a different aura or, or tone to Psalm 51 uh, because uh, he has put himself back into that walk with God. And and it's that's right. like you mentioned earlier, God's not against us. He's for us. So everything that he commands us to do and everything he commands us not to do is not because he's up there just arbitrarily saying, I don't want you doing this, this or this. And I want you Now everything he does is for our benefit, uh, not exactly. only from an eternal standpoint. And, and we I think we oftentimes look at, well, God wants me not to do these things, but he wants me to do these things so I can be with him in heaven. And that's definitely part of it. And I would all, I'll also argue that that is probably that, that we should look at that as the ultimate goal uh, of what is being done. But there is also a realized facet of heaven today in the present uh, present tense. Uh, exactly. It's not just future reward that we gain. Right. There is present reward that we gain as well. Uh, we can call it pieces of heaven that we can experience here on this earth. And, and Ephesians chapter one talks about that. Every spiritual blessing. Verse three, we have a relationship with Jesus here on this earth. We're going to have a relationship with him in heaven. Uh, right. We have the peace of God for eternity. But we can have that peace here, not to the fullest extent, but we can still have that peace here. Uh, right. relationship with one another, uh, with the saints, the relationships that we have with those who are in Christ today and who are walking in a manner worthy and being pleasing to God, we're going to enjoy those relationships for eternity. And so it's not just a future reward that God 
holds in front of us saying, do all these things or don't do all these things for this future reward. No, these are things that you can experience. You're going to experience them to a greater extent on the other side of judgment, but you can still ex enjoy those, those blessings exemplifies that. Uh, and so those are excellent, excellent points. What else do you have? Amen to that. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, as Paul says in first Timothy four verses seven through eight, when we exercise ourselves unto godliness, uh, we have promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Uh, you want to live a, a good life, become a Christian, live as a Christian. Paul's prayer to the brethren here will help all of us live as Christians and we'll experience a good life in the here and now. And it just gets better. As Solomon says in Proverbs eleven twenty three. the desire of the righteous, it, it's only good. It just gets better and, and better. Well, Josh, with this last point to this process, I'll tie in verses 11 and 12. And you, as you begin looking at verses 11 and 12, you're going to really see the benefits of spiritual transformation. But that last step that I want to highlight from verse number 10, Paul says that when we're bringing forth fruit unto every good work, he says we're increasing in knowledge. This is what's always fascinated me about this great context, because Paul begins with with knowledge. And then at the end of verse 10, he mentions knowledge again. Of course, as, as we grow in, in a knowledge of God's word, we're going to grow in an intellectual knowledge. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about at the end of verse number 10. Uh, the knowledge that, that he's highlighting in verse number 10 is an intimate knowledge that brings us closer to God. Verse number 10 is talking about a relationship with God. Yes, it begins with an intellectual knowledge, and we have to do something with that knowledge if it's going to be an intimate knowledge of knowing God. You know, there are people who, who know the Lord, but they don't know the Lord in an intimate way. Uh, they don't have a relationship with God. And so if you think about this, this process, when we follow this this process, it helps us draw near to God. In James 4, verses 7 through 8, uh, God says, you draw near to me and I'm going to draw near to you. You want to be close to God. Uh, here are the steps uh, that a person must take in order to have that closeness, uh, that relationship, because we don't want our, our relationship with God to be something that is superficial. Uh, we want it to be real. We want it to, to be genuine. And, and, and think about those benefits of, of really knowing God in verse number 11. We're going to be strengthened. Uh, we're going to have endurance. And listen, uh, living the Christian life isn't easy. Uh, you've got to work through temptation. There are trials that you have to uh, endure. Uh, it can be very challenging, but God, through his word, helps us navigate through life. And so when we know God, when we have a close relationship with God, uh, we're going to be renewed. We're, we're going to be strengthened. Uh, we're going to uh, endure through the difficult times. And then Paul says we're going to be patient with others. It's not just my relationship with God. It's also my relationship with my brethren. I have to help my brethren grow and, and, and to develop. And, and so I don't want to lose my temper with my brethren. I want to be patient. I want to be long-suffering. And, and then that last benefit that you see right there in, in verse number 12, giving thanks. Uh, we're going to be filled with joy 
And, and you think about joy. I mean, happiness. You mentioned peace. What What is it that makes the Christian life so full of joy? John uses that terminology in 1 John 1, verse number 4. It's having fellowship with God. It's having a relationship with God. And when we have a relationship with God, it's going to make a difference in our life. We're not going to be a pessimistic individual because pessimism really is unbelief. We're going to be optimistic. We're always going to rejoice in the Lord. And that's actually going to attract people to the gospel. You mentioned several things that are happening in the world or that have happened in the past. Really, problems can really turn into opportunities for the children of God if we have this joyful outlook on life. Even when life is difficult, we can be happy as the children of God. And so the last passage that I want to mention that really sums this up is found in Revelation 14, verse 4. We're to follow the Lamb wheresoever He goeth. And this is how we follow Jesus Christ as we go through this life. We have to know God's Word. We have to live it out in our lives. And it changes who we are. We become that butterfly that we talked about, something that is very beautiful in the eyes of God. And great, great point. Um, what, that knowledge of God, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it's a knowledge with experience. Exactly. Uh, and and I can I can pull anyone up, any uh, pull up, just say a famous woman uh, on on the internet, and I can read and I can know facts about her. I can know the day she was born. I can know where she lives, where she was born, where she went to school. Uh, all the relationships she's been in, work she's done, whatever, you know, but that knowledge is just a, a factual knowledge. You take the That's knowledge right. I have with my, my, my spouse, my wife, and, and there is a greater fulfillment in that knowledge than there is just simply knowing the facts about someone else. And the same thing with mm -hmm. God, like you mentioned, people know God from a fact standpoint. Uh, they know he's a loving God. They know he's a benevolent God. Uh, but they, do they experience it? Uh, and that's the 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 key uh, to this knowledge. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I also circled with joy uh, at the end of verse 11 uh, because you're right. Everyone endures. Everyone suffers, uh, but do they do it with joy? Um, right. And you know, John 16 and verse 33, Jesus said that a characteristic of this world is tribulation. Uh, in yep. this world, you will have tribulation, but take peace or take heart. I've overcome the world. But if you live in this world, you're going to have tribulation and have hardship. Uh, but to do it and endure it with joy, you know, James chapter 1, 2 and verse 3. Also, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 6, when it talks about uh, the hardships are like a father disciplining his children. And, and you go down, I believe it's verse 10. The Hebrew writer sums it up. The reason why does God allow the hardships to fall upon us? Not because he wants us to suffer, but when we discipline our children, we don't enjoy the discipline process. We enjoy. And the reason we discipline them is for the outcome of, of the discipline. We want them That's to right. enjoy them being good, upstanding individuals who can discipline themselves and act the way that they should. Exactly. Uh, same thing with God. God allows hardships to fall upon us. And if you go to verse 10, it says that we might share in his holiness. And, and this is a whole nother podcast. Uh, but you can go to Leviticus and see that the only way for you and I to have a relationship with God is to be holy. 
And, and so when you look at it from that standpoint, God allows hardships uh, to fall upon us. We should find joy in it in two, two ways, apart from the other ways, but two main ways. One, I'm given an opportunity to show my loyalty to God and, and, and show him that in this, I am still going to remain faithful to you. And two, when we look at it from the standpoint of God allows this to fall upon us so that we might have a relationship with him, then we should find joy in that as well. God allows the hardship to fall on me so that I'm strengthened, that the end result is so that he can have a relationship with us. And, and that's when we think about it from that standpoint, that the almighty creator of everything that there is wants to have a relationship with me. How can you not find joy in that? Exactly. How can you not find peace in that? How can you not find motivation to not only know his will and know him, but to walk in a way that pleases him? What, I mean, that's, it's a different facet on suffering or a different outlook on suffering than the world has. Uh, and, yep. and it brings forth, like you said, uh, when it says like uh, every good work uh, bearing fruit, that's part of it. That's but it. I understand that God's trying to have a relationship with me and I endure patiently that I'm going to bring forth something different from that suffering than, than someone in the world who is just enduring it to get through it. Uh, and so, Excellent point. You have anything else to close us out? No, certainly enjoyed it. Great, great context. Uh, every time I 100%. go through this context, it helps me personally. So right, I really enjoyed it. And I started to delve into it uh, this week uh, to prepare for this and realize that we could probably do another 100 episodes on it and still not touch everything that's to be pulled from it. So, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, great study. Uh, great text. I can see why it's your favorite. I can see why it's one of my dad's favorites. Uh, and I hope, you know, after this study, it's, it's probably gained some admiration, uh, in the hearts of, of not only myself, but, uh, the listeners as well. Thank you, Clay, for coming on and de dedicating your time to this. Uh, thank you for the study. Those are great, great thoughts. Uh, thank you those who are watching, uh, like, share, subscribe, share this with your friends. Appreciate your support, uh, up until then and, uh, continue support from here on out. Uh, but with that,